0: and welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centred, Word-based and Spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you and on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 30. Last week we preached on the Good Samaritan and guess what we're preaching on again today, (laughs) the Good Samaritan. If you missed last week's Vision Sunday, uh, go on to our podcast, grab the podcast uh, or go on to our YouTube channel, you can grab it on there as well. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Who is ready for some Bible today? Come on, who loves their Bible? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Alive in body, dead in spirit. It's a play on words. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by, watch this, on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Any Samaritans in the house this morning? Okay, we better give a (laughs) salvation call. (laughs) So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and set him on his own animal, meaning that he had to walk, brought him to the church, to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, a day's salary was one denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbour to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. A couple of weeks ago in Western Australia, I kind of have this dual thing going on in my spirit at the moment and in what God's doing through Alison and I. I kind of feel like a missionary, but a senior pastor all at the same time, and so the expansion that our churches is, is really going through. So, over in Perth, it's been interesting to see how many pastors have actually, uh, by the grace of God, reached out to me and asked for mentoring, uh, particularly all your, you know, the younger pastors coming through the ranks, running churches, etc. So, this one particular young guy, uh, when I say young older yet, everyone looks young, <laughs> he's, he's late 30s. Um, he said to me, he goes, oh, Bus Brad, heard you're in Perth, do you think I can uh, catch up with you? Uh, he was a teenager in my youth group uh, back in my 20s, right? So I said, yeah, sure, sure, absolutely, I'd love to catch up with you. The story is he planted his church about 10 years ago and uh, it was a church plant of about 20, 30 people and for the first seven years of his church plant, it kind of stayed at 20, 30 people. And in the last couple of years, the last three years, he's had explosive growth. And uh, Sunday morning, prior to me seeing him, he had about 300 people uh, in the congregation. So he showed me some photos. People were like kind of trying, they were putting seats in, the, in the, uh, the kind of foyer doorway of the church to get into the building it was amazing, so he kind of just felt like he needed to support or uh, needed support as to what do I do next? How, how do you look after what God is doing? And so, as we chatted, it became um, very clear to me that one of the key ways that his church actually grew was not necessarily through transfer growth as such—that is, plundering other churches to make your church appeared to be growing. Uh, pastors call it sheep stealing. And so he really had a heart for people's salvation. He wanted to see people come to Christ, to find Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And so in him, he had this great passion to actually win people to Jesus Christ Then. Started telling me stories of how he himself, as the pastor of the church, uh, you know, and where his church is located, they're dealing with, um, you know, some pretty heavy issues. You know, they're dealing with people who are on meth and all kinds of stuff. And he, he said to me, He goes, You got to come and preach at my church one day. I'm like, Yeah, awesome. He goes, Man, I got ex prisoners, I got gangsters. It's like, I'm like, Yeah, I'm down with that. And so uh, and it's, it's amazing to kind of hear the story of a young man who did not fall into the trap of thinking, how can I see people come from other churches to my church? But he had his eyes on what was Jesus' number one priority and that is people who don't know Him as Lord and Saviour. And our church right now, Horizon Church, those of you who've been in this um, journey or on this journey that we've been on as a faith community, Uh, God's calling us to embrace something that's very radical and very unique. We are in this continuity of of change, uh, heritage and renewal, stability and revolution is taking place all at the same time. And this stability that we feel is also God adding this revolutionary spirit and calling us to a new place and space. The love that we've received to actually take that to our community. Last year, you remember I put up a slide of this simultaneous tension that the early church experienced, which is living in common and living deployed. And so, The Bible tells us that the early church, they, come on, they lived in common. Is that right? That is, they served one another. They helped one another. They looked after one another's needs. But all at the same time, there was this tension of the church also living deployed. You heard Warren quote Acts chapter one, verse eight. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the challenge that happens in church life is the longer we are a faith community, everything is actually pulling us towards living in common. And spirituality begins to be defined by our ability to serve one another. And so this tension that's there, God is actually moving us in a direction that's gonna cause us to feel at times slightly uncomfortable because I'm stable here, but there's this revolution that's going on all at the same time. And that is being a church that yes, we are meant to live in common, we are meant to be attractional, but the heart of the Father is also missional. And that is how do we see people find the love of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. So we are called to live in common. But at the same time, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Can you say, Amen? Now that's the introduction. (laughs) And today what I actually wanna focus on and spend our time on for a little while is on the priest and the Levite who walked past a needy man and did nothing about it. Because I've been captivated to ask the question, why? How can you go past someone who's not necessarily kind of got a sore knee? The Bible says that the man was half dead and he was stripped naked. To see somebody like that and to, come on church, to pass by on the other side, something's wrong. And I want to know what God is trying to speak to us about. And today we're going to go on a journey that I believe as we are on this journey together as a faith community, I believe God's going to take us to a whole new level in having compassion for those who are in need. Can you say Amen? Now, Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 31 again, and it says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Wow, verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So let's firstly ask the question, who are the priests? Who are the Levites? What's their function? The priests, essentially, they offered sacrifices in the temple for the Jewish people and they were responsible for the teaching of scriptures, the Old Testament. The Levites, they served as assistants to the priests uh, in charge of temple maintenance, they were guards, etc., etc. And so, Priests and Levites were allotted a term of service. And at the end of that term, they would then leave Jerusalem and then go back to their own homes. And so the priest and the Levite, come on, stay with me, church. The priest and the Levite that we are reading about this morning served their, well, let's call it their allotted service, started to travel to their own home, come across a man who's wounded, beaten up, naked, left for half dead. Both the priest and the Levite see this man and they, come on, they pass by the other side. So the question I want to ask is, how can you become so detached to the need of a human being that a heart or the heart of these two men were numb. Nothing moved, nothing motivated them and they were emotionally disconnected from the situation. How? Not my problem. I'll pass by on the other side. I'm crossing the road on this one. (laughs) Now, both men were familiar with Old Testament passages. They knew that they were there to help feed the poor. They knew the Scriptures about looking after your neighbour, loving mercy, helping those who are suffering. And in fact, the priests and the Levites, part of their responsibility was distributing food to those who were poor in Israel. And so we see the priest and the Levite passing by on the other side when they had spent weeks on end practicing what the Bible asked them to do, but when it comes to a need in the community, they pass by on the other side. Why did they not help? Well, some reasons, we spoke about this last week, the first one could be contamination. Because Numbers says that if a priest or a Levite touches a dead body, then they need to uh, go through a process of cleansing for seven days. They had served in the temple. They ain't touching that body because they want to get home to their families. Could be for safety. Uh, Robbers would use a person on the side of the road as a decoy. You go over to help, everyone jumps out of the bush. All of a sudden, it's on for young and old. That person's in trouble. It could be entanglement. Now, we're not talking about a counselling session. We're talking about a man who's half dead. To look after him is gonna require you really getting in there and helping this person. And so the priest and the Levite ask themselves the question, is this a problem I wanna get involved with when I'm going home? The spirit is willing, but the schedule is tight. In other words, This is a nuisance to avoid. And we could say for the priest and the Levite, the catch cry of their heart is simply this. It is much easier to maintain a religious system than it is to love my neighbour as myself. But this is the most striking thing about the priest and the Levite, that is, they were so consumed by what was going on inside of the temple, they had no margin for the outside. Can we, as a body of believers, as the church of Jesus Christ become so consumed by what happens on the inside that we have no margin for the outside? And we potentially, could become numb to external needs because we've given all of our emotional energy to what goes on inside of the temple. And when there's a need outside of the temple, I've got no margin. Internal and external, within and without, home and abroad. And this is the cry of God's heart for His church in 2023. Are we called to focus on the inside? Yes. We have life groups, we have pastors, we have counselling systems. we have a kids ministry, a youth ministry, a women's ministry, a men's ministry. It goes on and on and on, places for people to get involved. But God's cry is what's going on on the outside. When was the last time our hearts were moved by something that we saw and we begin to cry? Now, it's not your fault. It's not that I'm trying to (laughs) project this guilt thing on you because you do need to know I could motivate you by guilt. I can move, I can shift things through guilt motivation, but we'll get to that eventually. This is not about a guilt motivation. This is actually the Holy Spirit stirring our hearts. And the most repeated verse of the New Testament is, let him who has ears to hear, hear. What the Spirit is saying. Came across this saying recently and I thought, gee, this is just so true for Horizon Church. Any truth, topic, doctrine or duty we preach that is not the blood brother of evangelism misses the heart of God to bring souls to Jesus. Can I just say that again? Any truth, topic, doctrine or duty we preach that is not the blood brother of evangelism misses the heart of God to bring souls to to Jesus, pastor in America by the name of Jack Graham. The sad thing about the behavior of the priests is that it's what psychologists call a cascading behavior. Best way I can describe it when Tori was five, six, and her dad was a young adult pastor, and I'd walk around the house like this talking on the phone, right? I'm a walker when I'm on the phone. Any walkers when they're on the phone? I'm walking talk to people, walking around the house. One day, I'm on the phone, walking, talking, and Tori gets one of her toys, puts it by her ear, and she's... (laughs) She copied my behaviour. The priest came, and the priest sees a man on the side of the road in desperate need, does nothing about it the next generation comes, the Levite, the assistant. What does he do? He copies the behaviour of the priest. Mums and dads, more mature people in the Lord, we have a responsibility to the next generation. This is not the job of the youth ministry to see people come to Jesus. This is not the job of the kids ministry to come up with plans and ideas on how more kids can be reached with the love of God. This is all of our responsibility. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, do the work of an evangelist. And this mark that God is calling us to make on the next generation starts with us. I'm rejoicing when I hear the stories from our youth ministry of Teenagers who made a commitment to Christ, it'll always warm my heart. But what happened to the adults in the church? What happened to the mums and dads in the church who once used to burn with a flame for souls? What happened to the adults in the church that said, let me model it to you. Let me be an example of what it actually means to love people who are in need. Last Sunday when I preached, I'm like, the average age, that somebody makes a commitment to Christ in Australia is 14 and in my heart and mind, I'm imagining what's gonna happen in our youth ministry. I go home that day and the Holy Spirit corrects me. And He says, why are you putting all that pressure on the youth group? Doesn't it start with you? Doesn't it start with the priests? so that it actually flows onto the Levite and actually affects his behaviour for good. And so I wanna challenge all the Pentecostals who've been in church life for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, some 50 years. We've got to get our passion for soul winning back. It's God's call to us to model it to a generation to come. The Samaritan, he comes along and and this is what I find fascinating about this story. What fascinates me about this story is that, as you know, you heard me say it last week, that the Jews and the Samaritans, they were enmity with each other. And the highest insult of the day was to call a Jew a Samaritan. You see it, in the Scriptures, I quoted this last week, John chapter 8, verse 48, they wanted to insult Jesus. So they said, then the Jews answered and said to Him, that is to Jesus, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan <laughs> and have a demon? In other words, it's like, let's insult this guy as much as we possibly can. Let's call him a Samaritan. Now, here's the thing that fascinates me about this story. When the Samaritan saw the man on the side of the road. This man, Bible teachers say, was a Jewish man. He was travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's the path of the Jews. And the Samaritan man comes. Now watch this, somebody who is an enemy, somebody who he has no relationship with. This is not somebody who Oh yeah, we used to go to high school together. I remember him. Then we ended up in the same uni course. Oh, we've we've been mates, wonder what happened to him? Who hurt him? Who robbed him? This was a person that he was completely disconnected from, yet he chose to love him and to help him. How could the Samaritan love somebody and help somebody who hated him. He risked his own life. He spent his own money. And at the end of the story, he was never publicly rewarded or honoured for his good deeds, never. Do you know why? Because the whole story of the Good Samaritan always points to Jesus. The whole story is there to motivate the people of God. Watch this, by love and not guilt. You see, we can move into the season as a church and feel guilty for the things that we should do or shouldn't be doing for people who are out there. Come on, been there. I remember youth pastor days, been in a meeting once. This guy gets up and he preaches and he says, One day when you go to heaven, He's motivating us for souls, right? And He said, you'll be standing before God, all the people that you should have told Jesus to, you will be in this line, they will be in the other, they will see you and you will remember. And I'm like, I was a young brother, I'm like, Lord, I don't want that to happen to me. Help me to reach as many people with the love of God. The problem is, it's motivation through guilt. You see, when somebody does something for you and they are in need, there is a reciprocation that's required. They helped you, now you help them. This man on the road, he did nothing to help the man that was coming past. They were at enemies, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. But what moved his heart beyond racial discrimination, what moved his heart towards a stranger was love. Why? Because church, the whole story of the Good Samaritan is actually you. You were that person on the side of the road. The law and the sacrifices passed by on the other side. But one day, a man by the Name of Jesus Christ, rejected by his own, chosen by God, saw a man, saw a woman on the side of the road, bandaged up his wounds, gave him the Holy Spirit, poured oil and wine, put him on his own donkey, that is his body, carried him to an inn to the church and said, let me pay for it. And if there's any other costs, when I come again, I'll sort it out then, I'll pay for it. It's actually you. You were that person that God reached out to and showed His love to. So then our motivation of what God is calling us to as a church is not out of guilt. It's not out of the shame Toward soul winning, it's because we love him because he first loved us. The motivation, come on, yeah, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. The motivation is love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, he demonstrated it not when you were lovely. Not when you got your hair done. It's not when you were right. God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, when you did not deserve it on the side of the road, Christ died for us. And watch this. (laughs) He didn't die so that you could then be made lovable. He already loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's already in love with you. It's not this transformation that you've gone through and God's like, "Okay, you're good now." <laughs> His heart already bleeds for you. Love never fails. Paul said 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. It's the love of Christ that compels us. The love that we've been shown. Luke chapter seven. He who has been forgiven much, come on, loves much. When we appreciate that that was us, God rescued us. Guilt is removed. And the sad thing about guilt motivation is that you just end up feeling guiltier. <laughs> Never actually works. But love is secure, love is whole. You are loved by God. 1 Corinthians 13:13. Now abide in faith it doesn't reject it. It says you should abide in these things. Abide in faith, hope, love. These three. What's the greatest church? Come on, what's the greatest? The Bible says the greatest is love. Do you know why? Faith and hope is temporal. It's for this side of eternity. Love, on the other hand, is eternal. That's why it's the greatest. This love story between you and your Father in heaven, when you were hurting, when you were lost, when you were lonely, when you were crying in the middle of the night, when you were up night after night after night because of your brokenness, and the Father came and wrapped His arms around you. This will go on for eternity, is the love story of your Father in heaven who loves you so much. And it's out of that love, that we love others. Not because of a guilt motivation, not because we feel bad. No, it's because we've experienced His love. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it has an inlet and it has no outlet. A few kilometres down the road is the River Jordan. It has an inlet and it has an outlet. Let that be us, church. Let that be our story at Horizon Church, that the love that we've experienced is flowing out of us towards others. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.